the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In the first half of this week's show, a panel of guests will consider the impact of Brexit on Irish exports. Joe Brennan, our markets correspondent, will tell us about the financial jobs that are coming to Dublin as a result of Brexit. And Owen Burke Kennedy will tell us about Moody's latest report on Irish housing. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from Irish Times business correspondent Mark Paul, who will fill us in on the entry of Mike Ashley's Sports Direct to the Irish market. And don't forget, you can download this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Uh, but first to our panel discussion, and I'm joined in studio by economist Jim Power, by Joe Brennan, markets correspondent with the Irish Times, and by Irish Times reporter Owen Burke-Kennedy. Now, Umber Kennedy, you've been reporting on this Enterprise Ireland report, uh, which shows a slowdown in the growth of Irish exports to the UK in the wake of Brexit. Growth to 12% in 2015, but just 2% in 2016. What has Enterprise Ireland been saying about the reasons behind that? Yeah, well, one of the first things it noted was that the fall-off was mainly due to a uh, fall-off in food exports, which, uh, as you know, has uh, they have been hardest hit by the recent depreciation in sterling. So I suppose, um, you know, given that it represents around 600 companies or more, um, it's one of the first real hard barometers, uh, you know, that we've got of what's kind of happening under the bonnet of Ireland's kind of trading relations with the UK. This is post the Brexit referendum last year. It is, yeah. Mm. So uh, it's, you know, we should be mindful that it's it's a fall off in growth. It's still growing. It's not actually a kind of downturn in actual exports to the UK. So it's it's early days yet, but... um, the overall numbers, the UK accounted for about a third of the 21 billion in exports by client companies. So it shows you just how significant the UK is a market for um, Enterprise Ireland companies. But so, uh, you know, uh, Enterprise Ireland boss uh, Julie Cinnamon uh, said the results showed that the Brexit impact uh, essentially was already happening and was afoot and essentially that companies needed to act now and not wait for the outcome of political negotiations. Um she also said that the UK was likely to remain Ireland's, you know, one of Ireland's biggest markets uh, for exports, regardless of the outcome of the negotiations, whether we get a hard or a soft Brexit. So I suppose all along, her her main mantra and the government's main mantra has been the challenge for Irish companies is to, um, you know, lessen their reliance on the UK market and uh, mm. pursue. A but is there an enterprise Ireland strategy? Is there an enterprise Ireland strategy to actually help, particularly small mm. agri exporters? to overcome this, to maybe target new markets, um, look away from the UK and to target some new markets yeah, across well, the they, Eurozone? They, they used the launch of their figures to actually launch uh, what they called was a Eurozone strategy. And that aims to basically bolster our exports to around 6 billion uh, by 2020, which would be a, a 50% lift on the mm. current state of affairs. Now, that uh, new target has been given resources from the government and extra staff and it will basically help smaller and medium-sized companies to kind of do their market research do feasibility studies into new markets so that's basically what their main policy initiative is uh, regarding brexit yeah jim power does that sound like enough to you uh no not really i mean we've known from the board b uh um export results there in early January and also from the CSO's monthly trade data that in the second half of last year there was a significant weakening in the UK market and um, last year 37% of our food and drink exports went to the UK but actually if you look beneath the numbers um, it's estimated that 70% of our processed consumer foods exports actually go to the UK market so 
uh, its significance is absolutely monumental for the industry. And the a lot of those are very small companies, you know, many family owned type mm. organizations. They'd be very definitely in the S end of the SME category. Uh, the notion that they can turn around and diversify into Eurozone markets, I think, is a little bit fanciful. The UK market is the easiest market to sell into because the tastes are similar. It's it's pretty much at the same market. Same, e- everything yeah. is the same, really, standards, etc. Whereas into Europe is much, much more difficult. Mm. So, so uh, what you happens? Know, what, what should we be doing? Well, it's 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 hard to know what companies like that really require is very, very strong mentoring. You know, they're good at producing what they produce, you know, whatever it is, herbs, whatever. But they're a lot less good at evolving it into something higher value added. They're a lot less good at marketing. They're a lot. They spend a lot less money on advertising. So these are all of the areas. And, and of course, breaking into export markets, they're a lot less good at that. So I, I think we need to really sort of create an idea for the SME sector in this country. And how's the quangle? Well, <laughs> I suppose you, you could have it as part of Enterprise Ireland. Mm. You know. well, what about the likes of Kerry Group, Glambia, uh, Greencore, etc.? You know, large multinationals, very successful companies listed, etc., long histories. Uh, don't they have a role to play maybe in mentoring some of these uh, small of, businesses? Of, of course they do. And I mean, Borbia has been running those sorts of mentoring programmes. Uh, but all of this stuff was done during what we describe as normal times. We are now in abnormal times and they could become a lot more abnormal over the next couple of years. So I think we really need to up the ante. Uh, but I only discovered very recently, for example, that the French don't eat cheddar. Mm. So our main cheddar export market is the UK. So, you know, there's, there's very practical, um, simplistic stuff like that that's going to be very difficult to overcome. One of the, uh, I suppose, the challenge in the run-up to Brexit is obviously going to be a currency one. But post-Brexit then, you know, if we do get... Um, WTO tariffs applying, perhaps those companies will then have an opportunity to import substitute. So as the imports in the UK become more expensive, perhaps they will be able to fill the void in the domestic market. Uh, On this program in the past, you've said we should have a minister for Brexit. There's no sign of that. But should we at least even have a, a junior minister in the Department of Agriculture who's focused on Brexit issues to help with these uh, agri-companies? Yes, uh, absolutely. I stand by what I said many times to you in the past. I believe we should have a Brexit minister. And, you know, it is interesting that Fianna Fáil has a designated Brexit spokesperson. I think the government should have done the same thing. Um, uh, But it's not going to happen. You know, certainly in the current government, it ain't going to happen. Well, Fianna Fáil could have a new leader. We could have a new Taoiseach very shortly. Yeah, but is that going to change? Probably not. Um, I, I wouldn't bet in bottom dollar now we will get a Brexit mm-hmm. minister. So I suppose uh, the second best thing would be a junior minister within agriculture, for example, or enterprise trade and employment or whatever they're called these days uh, to actually um, specifically hone in on Brexit. It poses just a massive challenge to the Irish food industry and we ain't seen nothing yet. And um, I suppose one piece of good news is that exports so far this year to the UK are actually up a bit. Mm. Um, that's because sterling has stopped weakening, has strengthened a little bit, has stabilised, yeah. and the UK economy is doing pretty well. Tourism but, numbers are bobbing about, yes. though. They were down in yeah. February, I know. I think yeah. they might have been up again in March. But Yeah, but in the, in the first three months of the year, um, tourists coming in from the UK are down significantly. Um, whether that's just a blip or whether it's just a structural thing, currency related, mm. only time will tell. But one of the things about the UK tourists coming in here, 
their spend per head is a lot lower than other tourists coming in. That's because they spend a lot less time here. You know, they're typically here. So what Falls Ireland will do very successfully, is doing very successfully, is diversifying into other markets, you know, higher value added markets like Canada, the United States, continental Europe. Um, there's strong growth still going on there. But the UK is very definitely a problem. Yeah, we still don't have that long haul uh, route, mind you, to China which everybody talks about China being the future for Ireland and for exports and for business and so forth. We still don't have that long route. Uh, yeah, long I mean, haul route connection. Fr- fr- from a Chinese tourism perspective, if, if you visit, you know, continental Europe or the United States, Chinese tourists are everywhere. I mean, and over the coming years, there's going to be a massive increase in middle uh, class wealth in China. So you're going to get a lot more Chinese mm. tourists. So obviously, there's an opportunity there for Ireland. But in terms of building export markets into China, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult market to break into. And, um, so we need to look closer to home. Yeah, I think we need to look to... Yeah. I mean, the key driver of trade is geography. You trade most with those countries that are closest to you. And that's why the UK has been, is and will remain the most important market for us, but one that's going to become obviously more challenging. Uh, Joe, it's not all bad news on the Brexit front because uh, JP Morgan uh, coming here, setting up some new jobs, taking a building down in the docks and Standard Life confirming today to us that they're going to also be locating some more jobs in Ireland. I suppose, um, yeah, the, the, the one dividend or potential dividend from, from Brexit that's been well heralded is the, 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 the probability that we'll see a number of jobs moving to from mm. London to Dublin as part of, a, as major international companies uh, look to continue to passport their services to the European mm. Union. This is financial services, essentially. Financial services mainly, yeah, uh, in, the, in the city of London. Um, and I suppose we haven't had much by way of kind of big headlines, big headline wins in, in recent times. Uh, Luxembourg uh, and, uh, and Brussels and even Frankfurt seem to be kind of winning most of the headlines. But this week, at least we see confirmation from uh, JP Morgan. JP Morgan um, have a, about 500 people in Ireland in the IFSC at the moment and have been looking for some time and confirmed this week that they have agreed to purchase a, a building being developed down in the South Docklands which would enable them to increase or almost double uh, the amount of employees they have in in, in Dublin to uh, 1,000. Um, also, over the weekend, we had the head of investor services from JP Morgan talking about uh, hiring a significant amount of people in the fund administration business. Now, that's a business they already have in, in, in Ireland. Uh, but in addition to that, we understand, and uh, we reported a few weeks ago, that uh, we'll also see a, a number of kind of back-to-middle office jobs very specifically in relation to, to Brexit, moving to Ireland um, as JP Morgan moves uh, a lot of its European trading activity, equities and bond trading activity to, to Frankfurt. Um, separately, we have uh, Standard Life. Again, this is not massive new news. Standard Life had said in the past uh, that it would be looking to create a, a European base in Ireland post-Brexit. Standard Life uh, currently employs about 300 people in, in Ireland and it's currently in the, in the midst of uh, a massive uh, £11 billion uh, merger with uh, Aberdeen Asset Management. We don't have much by way of detail in terms of numbers yet. Right, okay. So are we going to get this dividend of jobs from financial services that has been promised to us? I mean, Owen Murphy, the uh, Minister for Financial Services, Junior Minister in the Government and Department of Finance, he's suggested that some, you know, there there will be some big announcements to come. There's always an ebb and flow to to these things, but there will be uh, some big announcements coming. Yeah, I think over the next few months... uh 
particularly for banks um, who have to get regulatory approval and particularly ones that need who are moving entire new businesses out of uh, London. Um, we'll probably see announcements from them in the coming months because their own investors demand uh, that they are clear in terms of what their plans are in terms of Brexit. Just looking at some various companies, um, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, um, it has about 600 people in Ireland at the moment. It's increasing uh, a part of the business, non-Brexit related, there's uh, technology and uh, and uh, operations hub in Dublin. We understand also they're looking for some office space in Ireland, which would allow them to significantly increase uh, the amount of employees here. Again, it's it's probably going to be kind of more back office type uh, uh, support uh, roles um, uh, for, for the group. Now, the interesting thing about Bank of America, it um, back in the heyday, back in the back in two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve, had by far the biggest balance sheet in Ireland. It had. Um, over a half a trillion dollars worth of derivatives. Then they moved it out. Then they moved it out, and and, and rightly so, because they were booked in, in, in the Irish business, but the actual trades and the actual accounts and the actual customers were, were based in London. Now, there's a bit of speculation that as some of the European business does move over to Ireland, that we may see that balance sheet begin to grow again. The balance sheet actually was so large at one stage when the US uh, investment banks were required to... Uh, to file living wills, wills with the, the the Fed, Ireland, uh, the business in Ireland actually stood out as one of the main parts of uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, that they had to account for. Yeah, um, Jim, are you confident that we're going to get a bonanza of financial services jobs here as a result of Brexit? Well, uh, we don't want too many because we won't be able to cope. Um, JP Morgan did allude to the fact that one of the problems in Ireland at the moment, particularly Dublin, is, is infrastructure, housing and access to education. So uh, there is a limit to how much we can actually take in based on where so we are at the moment. How many do you think? Moment. What are you hearing? Um, What's well, the chatter I, on the street? Uh, there's not a lot of chatter. Well, I'm not hearing much chatter on the street, but I mean, the JP Morgan move really wasn't Brexit-related. Standard Life is very much Brexit-related. And I think the Standard Life view of the world is we've no idea how the passporting issue is going to unfold, uh, but they have to act now in case. So, And as Joe said, shareholders will be insisting that companies actually do what is necessary to cope with it. So um, I think we'll continue to win some. I think there's no doubt about that because we do have a lot going for us, you know, the language, the workforce, etc. But the obvious challenge is... uh, Housing, you know, uh, yeah, how we how we cope with it all, uh, but hopefully over the next couple of years we will get um, an ongoing trickle. I think that's yeah. important. And just coming to housing, Joe, actually, you've been covering Cairn Homes this week, as I have myself, and they've raised uh, just shy of fifty-two million euro in gross uh, funds from a share placing, which they're planning to use uh, to help fund the purchase of some development sites in uh, Dublin in prime locations. RTE, uh, we know that they're 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 going to bid for RTE. Uh, but you were talking to Michael Stanley, the uh, the head of Cairn Homes at the AGM today. Yeah, um, uh, Michael Stanley uh, confirmed that uh, the RTE site, the 8.6-acre um, site in uh, out in Donnybrook, is uh, one of the assets that they are looking at. They say they have others uh, that they're looking at as well, but it is one of them. And interestingly, um, he said that... Um, they'd only be interested in building uh, apartments there. They say there's a, a massive uh, shortfall of apartments, and particularly if Ireland wants to play this Brexit card and wants to gain any real traction in terms of, uh, mm. of uh, getting jobs. Now, how many apartments are we talking about? 500 plus? 500 plus for, for that. But if you look at, the, just going back to in terms of what he's talking about, in, in terms of Brexit, he was talking about, you know, at the moment you've only got 1,000 par- apartments being built in Dublin. At the moment you've got 600,000 square metres of office development 
capable of holding 60,000 people. So you're talking maybe 2,000 people uh, housed in those apartments. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a, a dislocation between uh, the, the amount of office space that's been developed and the amount of, of residential space. So he's saying, you know, we could miss a, a, a major trick uh, in terms of really attracting uh, mm. businesses to Mind Ireland. You, they've got sites, haven't they, for 12,000 units? Yeah, over the next number of years. Yeah. And well, all of that office space isn't going to come on stream at one time. It's going to be phased in, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. This, the 600,000 is, is what's really being constructed at the moment. Uh, I think it's 1.6, 1.7 in the pipeline. Mm. Um, but again, I mean, the types of young people that will be working in these financial services businesses will probably want to, won't want to be living out in the suburbs. They'll want to be living in, you know, close proximity to, uh, to uh, the city centre. Yeah. Uh, Jim Power, those apartments at RTE, I mean, if you just do a sort of a back of the envelope uh, calculation, the guide price is 75 million euro. It's 8.6 acres or or thereabouts, 500 plus apartments. You're probably talking about 150,000 euro per apartment in the purchase price alone, never mind the development costs on the site. And it could Mm. be tricky to develop and there could be objections. There's no planning permission Mm. and all of that. They're going to be expensive apartments, whichever way you you, uh, slice and dice it. Um, and I just wonder how many people are going to be willing to pay for really expensive apartments beside a big radio mast, uh, which RTE will have next door on the, on the rest of our Donnybrook site. Uh, I suspect you will have strong demand. Um, and I would expect whenever that development uh, comes on the market, you will have people queuing up. Um, apart from the mast, it's a very attractive place to live. You know, it's, it's close to the city centre, relatively close. It's reasonably well serviced by public transport. So I think there will be massive demand. I mean, uh, and that is the feature of particularly good locations in Dublin at the moment. Anything that comes on stream is being way oversubscribed. So I would say that that site will be Mm. an unambiguous success. Um, I think that that the bigger issue is, you know, do we have the capacity to deliver what's required on the residential side over the next few years? We don't have enough developers building houses at the moment, for example. Uh, Many reasons for that, which I won't get into. But um, that that is another fundamental problem. Um, A lot of developers actually have moved out of residential and are now doing commercial commercial because the economics stack up a lot better. Yeah, Owen Burke Kennedy, are we moving into bubble territory? Moody's um, Moody's has had a report on this on the Irish market. What do they have to say? Yeah, there's been a lot of chatter, uh, uh, I suppose, since the beginning of the year with the pickup in house prices. Are we heading for another bubble? But Moody seemed to have played down that uh, notion. Uh, and its principal reason for doing that was it just says the, the credit growth uh, accompanying the rising house prices just isn't the same as it was in the past. So essentially, the banks are on a much surer footing this time round than they were last time round. Um, however, it did note that the kind of rapid acceleration in house prices, with I suppose we're, we're getting double-digit inflation now in most parts of the country, was um, did need to be monitored. I suppose this is the phraseology they used. So it said um, the house price growth was primarily a product of, of the shortages that we all know about, um, and it also noted that you know the pickup in construction, uh, while while it was sizable, you know was no way. Uh, near going to meet the level of demand required in the market. Mm. So it did also actually, uh, I should say, um, you know, I suppose link the current growth spurt to uh, the government's um, new scheme for first-time buyers and also the relaxation of the central bank's rules 
mm. um, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, and our colleague Fiona Redden had a story as well about the European Commission uh, closely monitoring house prices here. And Jim, I suppose that's to be welcomed uh, given the scale of the crash we had before. It's good that uh, regulators and, and people are having oversight of these things. But nevertheless, um, there is a fear among ordinary people, I think, that house prices are on a runaway train again and we could be heading for a bubble territory. What do you think? Uh, given my track record, I didn't think if you asked me about housing bubbles, I wouldn't recognise one if it bit me in the face. But um, I, I suppose, um, I mean, you would have to agree with the Moody's view. It's not being driven by excessive credit at the moment. But having said that, I mean, house prices are running away at the moment purely because the natural demand is incredibly strong. Supply is incredibly limited. So the longer this goes on, the more dangerous it becomes. But I think a more fundamental point as well is that people who are actually getting into the housing market now are coming in with pretty chunky mortgages. Um, incomes aren't growing as quickly. And, um, you know, so I think pri- personal debt is starting to build again. And that is mm. finding its way into the real economy at the moment. So, for example, car sales are having a difficult year so far. Um, and, and retailers generally will tell you that they're still facing a consumer that's not that anxious to pay higher mm. prices. So and the VAT numbers are are going up uh, in terms of exchequer. Oh, yeah, that the consumer spending is growing, but the ability of retailers to pass on higher prices to consumer is still very limited. There's a massive gap there between the volume and volume growth of retail sales. And that's so, in other words, retailers are shifting volume, but the ability to trans- convert that into revenue is proving much more difficult. And, and I think it's because, you know, the personal sector is under a lot of pressure. For those borrowing for house purposes, mortgages are rising, so mm. more income has been soaked up. Um, you know, wages have been pretty stagnant yeah. for the last number of years. The personal tax burden is still very strong. So I would worry about another two years of this sort of house price growth, you know, it will put people back into a situation of vulnerability. And then in the event of something going wrong, they become seriously Jim, you're an, an economist of some experience. Um, and we're told that supply is the, is the answer to this problem. Um, and yet in 2006, seven, let's say, we were building more houses than we ever did in the history of the state. There was, I think, 93,000. Yeah, we built over 93,000 in 2006, yeah. And yeah. 80 odd thousand uh, the previous year. And yet house prices were at uh, record levels. And they continue to increase. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a few issues. Number one, we were caught in a period of mass hysteria, you know, and we, we were all sort of involved in it. People believed they didn't buy a house today, they'd never be able to get on the housing ladder. You know, that was certainly an issue. And the other issue about supply is that a lot of the supply was being delivered where the demand didn't exist. Mm. You know, so you still have the the recent census showed towns in the country. I think Black Line was the one that was highlighted Mm. uh, with serious difficulties with oversupply, ghost estates, etc. We need to make sure we create the supply where the demand exists and the, the immediate priority is the greater Dublin area. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think the demand-led approach the government has to date is a mistake. Um, I think you address the supply side. You improve the economics of delivering residential housing. Um, you may look at developer levies. You may look at VAT rates. And I think you also have to look at the planning process. You know, we need to expedite the planning process to deliver supply as quickly as possible. Joe? Just important to remember back in 2006, there was uh, no shortage in terms of credit. Um, you know, you heard anecdotal evidence of people getting mortgages up to nine, eight, nine or ten times 
the size of the salary, at least with the uh, with the caps that were brought in in recent years by the central bank, that limits that. Even if they have loosened the the, mm. the and they can always tighten the tap, I guess. Yeah, so they've, mm. there's three and a half. You you have that stopper, uh, the three and a half times uh, the, the the income of of, mm. of uh, borrowers. So, Jim, in your opinion, how long before we get supply and demand into equilibrium? Uh, based on the direction we're going at the moment, you're talking about at least five years, and and so the concern obviously would be that until we get it on track, until we achieve some sort of equilibrium, prices in certain areas of the country are just going to continue to rise. And as I say, pushing more and more people into bigger and bigger mortgages, creating this ultimate vulnerability. All right, on that bum note, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Jim Power, Joe Brennan and Umber Kennedy. We're going to take a short break now, but firstly, a word about the Irish Times upcoming economic summit. It's taking place on Tuesday, May 30th in the Shelburne Hotel in Dublin. Speakers will include Pascal Donoghue, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michelle O'Neill, the leader of Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland, and Dr Loretta O'Sullivan, Chief Economist with Bank of Ireland. You'll also find that I'm on a panel as well, speaking about Brexit and various uh, issues relating to the economy. You can buy tickets for this event at irishtimes.com forward slash economic summit, and we hope to see you there. But now a break, and when we return, we'll be chatting to Mark Paul about the opening of Mike Ashley's first standalone sports direct store in Ireland. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Don't forget you can download this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. I'm joined in studio by Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul to discuss the opening of the first Irish Sports Direct standalone store uh, which was opened recently by wealthy UK businessman Mike Ashley. It's located on the site of the former Boyer store just off O'Connell Street in Dublin and uh, Mark you've been along to it today. What did you find? Well, I found probably the biggest sports store you could ever possibly uh, hope to set foot in. That's it's quite a big, quite a big shop, uh, Boyers. Boyer, I mean, Boyers was a department store, you know, um, and, and, and you know it sold everything from menswear to womenswear to, to homewares, and and that was over. I think four or five floors. They've put in some mezzanine floors now. So they have six floors on um, in, in the old Boyer store now at this Sports Direct store. Five of those are Sports Direct and one is a, a, a different retail proposition called USC, which is like a youth brands and um, propositions. Um, Interesting name in the, in the context of USC in Ireland. Probably one of the most resented taxes in Ireland brought in as an emergency measure. Uh, post the crash. That's right, yeah, universal social charge. Look, I mean, I mean, I doubt that was in Mike Ashley's mind when he decided to bring the brand in. I'm sure he was looking at the retail opportunities. But yeah, especially in the north inner city, uh, calling your shop USC probably isn't uh, the greatest um, um, thing from a marketing perspective. But look, it looked busy enough when I was in there today. Um, there was a lot of people looking around. USC, just to start with that, um, it's, uh, it's, I suppose it's a, it's a collection of, of young brands. Not, you know, it's not pile them, stack them high and sell them cheap. It's not... Um, you know, it's not sort of uh, like pennies in a sense. It's not as cheap as that. Uh, it, it's sort of comparable, I think, to something like River Island um, um, or the the, the, the the youth fashion parts of, of, of Debenhams. You know, you see Jack and Jones, Levi jeans. Levi jeans are 90 quid in there. I mean, you know, it's not it's not a discount store. Um, and and that, 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 that type of operation. But it's huge. It's all on one floor. And it's, it's absolutely enormous, um, just that one floor. Um, and then you have the Sports Direct p- portion of it. Um, and as you go in the front door of the old Boyers building, just down the stairs in front of you, 
is where they have the, the boot room, I suppose you'd call it, um, and all the football jerseys. It used to be the men's shoe department back in the day. Is that what that was? Yeah. And then and then the ground floor is um, um, you can see the real focus of a sports direct store is um, is, is is footwear, sports footwear. It, there are literally acres of, of 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 runners in front of you, stretches right right all the way through to the back of the store. And then as you go up the various mezzanine levels, you find another one for uh, rackets. There, there was one level. All, all I saw it was rackets, tennis rackets. Rackets, squash rackets, all of that sort of stuff. So it's absolutely enormous. There was a lot of people when I was in there today, around about lunchtime on Wednesday. Um, they'd done a sort of a soft opening of it. Um, but, you know, it's going to have a big impact, I think, on some of the other... Mm. Uh, I know you paid $12 million to purchase the building. Do we know what the investment is in opening the store? No, we don't know what the investment is in it. Um, um, sports, huge. Sports, sports Direct is not a, 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 a terribly, um, 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 you know, it's, it's not a terribly media-friendly company. Um, um, Mike Ashley and Sports Direct tend to get a torrid time in the British media. Mm. Why um, is he such a controversial figure over there? Well, I, I think I think he's the sort of guy who thrives on conflict and, and, and it's the way he does business. But I think, I think principally why he's been getting such a bad press in the UK over the last number of years has been over the perceived work conditions at Sports Direct. I think if you if you if you cast your mind back to um, Christmas of 2015 into January of last year, um, at around about that time, there was a big scandal blew up over the working conditions of people at at, at its Shirebrook headquarters in, in Derbyshire, um, and there was all this talk that you know because they were all being screened going in and out of work, and they had to queue up to make sure that they hadn't nicked anything. That when you factor that all in, that they were all getting paid less than the minimum wage, um, and and just generally that that the working conditions of Sports Direct leave a lot to be desired. Mm. And, and I think he accepted that, didn't he, in public eventually? He did. He accepted that and he made a lot of changes and then he had a big press day where he invited everybody along to see all the new all the new procedures that he put in place and in, right in front of the cameras he decided that he would go through the search procedure and um, which a little bit like, like going through a sort of an airport uh, a security thing and they asked him to empty his pockets and he pulled out probably about five grand in notes um, um, and, 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 and flunked it into the thing. And it was a bit of a pure disaster from that point of view. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Mike Ashley doesn't come out to play with the media very often and, and I haven't seen him come out to play since that. Um, but, you know, he's a competitive figure um, and he tends to buy a lot of businesses in uh, tell us about his interest in Ireland because he does have some re- existing retail interests. He, he does Heaton's Heaton's department stores. Um, he bought into Heaton's as a minority shareholder a little over a decade ago. Um, Heaton's is is a department store chain. It's kind of got fifty four, fifty six department stores on the island of Ireland, um, mostly in regional locations. It's got five in Dublin, but they're all on the wrong side of the M fifty. Um, and and he bought in. He now fully controls Heaton's as of a couple of years ago. He had another row there, a legal row with the with the other shareholders, and and he took full control. Um, and and what Mike Ashley has always wanted in the Irish market, and he's been coveting it for years, is a way into our sports market here with a huge, high-profile city centre site. And he didn't have one. Heaton's didn't give him it. They had the Square and Tala and so on. He could co-locate sports direct stores there. But he didn't have a big flagship, a megastore, so to speak. He sniffed around the Cleary's building, um, and that didn't, uh, that didn't uh, come to anything, and eventually bought the Boyer's building. So now he has a prime site. Um, um, it's 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 got to be the biggest megastore in the entire Sports Direct group, I think, mm. in the UK and Ireland. Um, and he yeah. has he has a, a launch pad to really have a go at the Irish sports retailing market. Yeah. So what's that going to mean for Irish companies like Lifestyle and Elvery Sports? Well, L- Lifestyle and Elvery are the two that that would be uh, uh, have the most to lose really from this, I suppose. Th- there was something ominous in what Leonard Brassel, who is the managing director of Sports Direct in Ireland, what he said on, on on Sunday when they said they were going to be opening the store. He said that they were going to use it as a launch pad for two two two. 2017 to be a year of expansion for Sports Direct. So they're, they're obviously going to roll this out. He's not going to be happy with one megastore and he won't be happy with one USC. 
He tried to buy Elvery's before already, uh, Mike Ashley, when it was in examinership in 2014. He tried to gatecrash that process effectively. He flew in on his private jet to Dublin to uh, to try and effectively bang his way uh, in through the door of the of the of, of the examiner because he was locked out of the deal at that stage. Um, Elvery's has a turnover of about 75 million euros. Uh, Lifestyle, which is owned by the Stafford family, um, um, that has a turnover of about 100 million euros. They're significant businesses, but they're going to face a lot of competitive pressure. I mean, you can mm. say what you want about Mike Ashley, but he's a competitor um, and uh, and, he, and he's an aggressive competitor and they're going to feel the pressure and they're going to feel the pressure on their pricing. Yeah, and you did a little bit of uh, test marketing on this today, didn't you? You popped into a Lifestyle to compare a couple of prices. What did you find? Well, I, I, I popped, first of all, into the Sports Direct store, the new Sports Direct store, and I had look at a new Manchester United away kit for 2017-18 and that was 70 euros uh, uh, in, in sports direct. What a rip off. Um, 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 what a bargain. And I popped down to um, to the nearest Lifestyle Sports which is on Mary Street about a, a four or five minute stroll away um, and it had been selling there for 80 euros and somebody one of the staff obviously had scribbled out 80 euros in pen today and, and mm, it was going for Mike Ashley who knows and, and it was going for 69 euros and, and the stores on, and you know Sports Direct has only been open for three days and and uh, assuming that that price change was made since he started selling his for 70 euros so within three days they've already had to knock 11 quid off a brand new Manchester United jersey so I mean look you, you can't say that that sort of competitive pressure is going to be replicated across every product line yeah, they have sure. but, okay. but, but, but in general he's, he's going to make life difficult for them now he's recruited Irish soccer manager Martin O'Neill to do the official launch for him next week yeah that's right Martin O'Neill is due uh, there on Thursday the 25th um, so, third, so Thursday week um, to, to, to cut the ribbon uh, it'll be a quick affair I think sometime in the mid to late morning um, and is there a connection between Sports Direct and the FAI Sports Direct is a, sort of a sponsor of the FAI's summer schools um, so uh, they, they do have uh, they do have an existing commercial relationship with the FAI Martin O'Neill go down cut the ribbon and um, there'll be a quick little bit of a photo call and, and, and that'll be it um, but, but already Sports Direct is already open for business yeah, it's been a good few weeks for Mike Ashley. Newcastle got promoted back to the Premier League as champions of the Championship. Absolutely. Um, we'll see where they are in, in, in a year's time. I mean, uh, emotions n- never tend to uh, be stable for very long in Newcastle, uh, Newcastle United Football Club. Uh, there's always some sort of a drama. Um, and, you know, Mike Ashley runs that football club like a business to the chagrin of many of the supporters. He, he insists on it, uh, making a profit. Um, um, so we'll see what funds mm. are made available for it. Uh, he won't sell a lot of Newcastle, you know, the jerseys in Ireland, of course, but. Um, and we'll see how it goes from. All right, Mark Paul, thank you for that. Um, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Jim Power, Joe Brennan, Owen Burke Kennedy, and Mark Paul. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.